This is the Chicago Podcast Network. Thank you for downloading this episode of Out Front with uh, Nick and AJ. I am AJ. Um, uh, when you are downloading this, you know, making sure that you are also going to our Twitter, which is Shy Town Podcast One. Our Facebook is Shy Town Podcast, and the Gmail is Chicago Podcast Network at gmail.com. You know, usually Nick uh, drives us and everything, but I figured I would, uh, you know, drive a little bit on this and what have you and see how our good buddy Nick is doing if I can find him. Nick, are you there? <sighs> Nick, yeah, don't sound too happy with me. Well, I've on now. been on hold with the world's favorite cable provider for two hours and 15 minutes so I'm happy. Well, you should be because it's, you know, it's, it's the cable company. You should be happy. They're providing you a service. Are they, though? Are they providing me a service, or are they just coming up with new and inventive ways? I've come up with a theory, AJ. Here's my theory. The people who run, screw it. I don't care. They can sue me if they want. The people who run Comcast Xfinity are masochists. That is the only possibility. That is the only reason. Not even masochists. They're, they're the doms in a masochistic relationship. They just really get off on hurting you and driving you crazy. That is the only possible explanation for what happened. Well, unless you can, you know, rig up your own network with the fiber optic cables that, you know, they owned and hook it up to one of the hot hub spots in Chicago that both the city and the company owns, um, you're kind of screwed. I actually, so it's funny you bring that up because, ladies and gentlemen, this is basically here's what happened. We have, um, through my, my, my dad has a really expensive uh, Comcast service that he uses. And part of the whole deal is that you're supposed to be able to watch everything everywhere. And you can't because the service never works. Now, I live in Bensonville, so I use it occasionally to watch random things. And my favorite argument to make is... I am watching a show, like, let's go with a show, AJ, like The Blacklist, which is a show that I enjoy. Mm -hmm. I love James Spader. So let's say I go to watch The Blacklist on demand. Here's what's taking place. I am watching an NBC-created show. NBC is owned by Comcast. I am watching a NBC-created show on their internet stuff, on their website, through their hardwired cables, through their service, which is all owned by one giant parent company, and none of it works correctly. That is what happens when you have the ability to corner the market in an area. Because even the cable companies that exist in my area that aren't Comcast have to use Comcast infrastructure. Now, in other countries around the world, the infrastructure of internet cables or uh, television cables or radio waves are property of the government that are then leased by companies for use. Only in America, only in America, as Don King would say, can a private company own the infrastructure of something that everybody needs. There is a big debate going on in this country, as, uh, in the tech worlds, as to whether or not the right to the Internet is actually a right. Do you have the actual constitutional right to access the Internet? Now, this is the kind of stuff that gets people confused, because obviously the Founding Fathers could not have conceived nor prepared for the Internet. Oh, God, AJ, I'm about to get disconnected. AJ... And we're back. So that happened, ladies and gentlemen. I uh, I don't know what to say right there, except to say that all of a sudden my computer just started randomly closing programs because Comcast, and yeah, I said your name again, you motherfuckers, I think heard me and came back to get their sweet revenge. I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, since we're in the age of... Uh Cybersecurity. I mean, I'm sure there's probably internet assessment people out there. Someone call Edward Snowden. Don't. <laughs> Don't even say his name, lest they come looking Don't. for you. Oh my god! Yeah, you want your phone to be tagged. Well, apparently my my microphone is already tagged, so you know, because I'm nothing if not a dangerous liberal, AJ. Anyway, what I was saying right. before that happened was um and by the way we left that in ladies and gentlemen because it just kind of perfectly sums up what i was trying to say that was hilarious i can't believe that happened <laughs> oh god that made me that made me smile 
Uh, it almost makes me forget what I was talking about. Oh, no, it doesn't. Comcast sucks, and it should be a right of all Americans to have right access to the Internet because you cannot function in the world without it. So that happened, and yeah. So I'm in a great mood, and AJ is, as always, I'm assuming, just enjoying life and living the, the life of a fun, uh, batch, eligible bachelor. <sighs> sure, sure, we'll say that. Yeah, we'll go with that, because he's basically Bruce we'll Wayne. Um. All right, AJ. Well, let's get back into the show proper. I know you're technically driving, but I I can't help it. It is my host jeans. It's been two days since. Well, it's been about 36 hours since the f- debate to end the world or save the world or I don't know, save the cheerleader, which somehow saves the world. And always the cheerleader. Always the cheerleader. Uh, speaking of which, another NBC show. So that could <laughs> suck it. Um. The funny thing is, it's been 36 hours since all that, you know, happened, and we have WrestleMania, political edition, and I'm really enjoying watching the Trump supporters try to drone up ways in which he won, and I'm really liking Hillary uh, supporters trying to not dance on his grave, because they know that it doesn't really matter. It's It's been an interesting uh, little bit of time here. Now, when Donald Trump, let's start with the moderator, AJ. When Donald Trump left the stage, he did, first of all, something that nobody else has done in the, in the history of televised debates, which is the first candidate to ever walk into what is known as the spin room. AJ, I believe that you've been in a spin room before, correct? I have. Okay. I would like you, my very good friend, to explain to people what it is, why it exists, and why it's so weird for a candidate to be there. AJ, the floor is yours. So in a spin room, depending on the venue, there's like a separate room where a lot of the candidates' um, surrogates are there and the media is in there. And so when the debate is sometimes over, but even sometimes during the debate or whatever it is, town hall, forum, whatever the event is, um, these are the people who will start spinning the narrative. Um, that's why it's called the spin room. So when something um, the candidate says or what the opposition says, their surrogate will spin it one way or another in their favor. And the media is usually in that room. So it's always this interesting space to see who the surrogates are, but also how you can spin things like um, I, you called someone fat. No, I didn't. And then spin it as... He didn't say fat. She, he just said that, you know, because of the parameters of the event, you know, she was just a little bit on the husky side, and therefore, you know, she's not as beautiful. <laughs> Things like that, but and that's a very, very crude way of, of presenting that. But, I mean, that's what they do, you know, what, and, it's, and with what happened at the debate in Hofstra um, University, um, I don't know how you can spin his shit. It's like, I I even try to do it as a mental exercise, and it's like, how do you get out from that? It, because not only you're saying something very very false, um, you're just making shit up. <laughs> you know, something that can be proven time and time again. Um, it's these are very softball type of responses that you're providing for your opposition, which, you know, if I was in Hillary's camp, I would just say, just do you let him fuck it up. Yeah, and that seemed to be the game plan going into that debate. I mean, the more I've, I've watched, I actually watched it again uh, last night just to be ready for the show today. And if you really watch it, 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 it was. It was very tactical, uh, tactical on their part to let him. I really do feel like they almost told her to surrender the first 10 minutes to him uh, and let him get complacent. And then once she started to attack him, he didn't know what to do. And she never really... The funny thing is, is people go, she attacked him, she went after him on this. If you go back and watch that, my biggest issue is that she never really attacked him. What she did was set him up to... He had two choices. Either he could have responded presidentially or he could have gone for the cheap Donald Trump... I guess you at this point we'll call it Trumpian response... And he would just go Trump the entire time. And, and she just kept giving him softball uh, chances to spin the conversation in a different way. And he just kept hitting, you know, swinging and missing in every opportunity that he had to try to make any sort of concerted point. And then you go to 
his whole thing in the spin room, this is why I brought it up. As he walks out of the debate, he goes into the spin room, which no candidate has done in the history of presidential politics, and you know, starts spinning his own debate, which is a very weird thing to do. It's uh, Aziz Anasari tells a really funny story uh, in one of his stand-ups about going over to Kanye West's house, and Kanye is listening to his own music, which is a really weird thing to be doing when you're having people over for a party, because it'd be like if Aziz had people over and went, hey, listen to this joke I told at this show. It's great. Like That's a weird thing to do. In this instance, it's a weird thing to go in and go, well, all that stuff that I just said, here's what I actually meant. I didn't mean what I said on stage. That's weird. And then as he walked out of the room, they said, how did Lester Holt do? And he said, I thought Lester was great. Honestly, I thought he was fantastic. And then he leaves. And then an hour later, he goes out online and is like, well, Lester Holt was completely biased and all this stuff, which he had already tried to set up by saying he was a Democrat, even though Lester Holt is a registered Republican, which makes him one of the rare intelligent black Republicans, of which there are not many. And it, it, it was a weird moment. And then he leaves there and has started my favorite debate spin I have ever heard. And Trevor Noah put it best last night. Donald Trump claims on Fox News that his microphone wasn't working properly. Which I don't know how it was not working properly. I, I know a lot about microphones, and if it can pick up. He was trying to claim that his sniffing was from the microphone not working properly. At which point I laughed my ass off, and then Trevor Noah goes... On Daily Show last night, that's like playing Xbox with my cousin who is just constantly going, oh, no, Trevor, it doesn't work because the controller, you beat me because the controller doesn't work. I got a friend who does the same thing. If he's winning, it's his skill. If he loses, the equipment doesn't work. And it's the same thing what Trump is doing right now. It's the lowest form of, of trying to make yourself feel better about losing. The microphone doesn't work. But in the interview that he said that, that the microphone doesn't work, they kept saying, well, it sounded like you had a cold. Do you have like a, a cold or something? He said, no, no, the microphone wasn't very good. Maybe it was good enough to pick up breathing. I don't know. No, it was just too hot is what it was. Yeah, the mic was too hot. Well, okay, great. And it, it really wasn't, though. It was just no. he doesn't. Look, the first three podcasts that we did, if you go back and listen to it, let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, what you'll hear in our first three episodes. This is why I'm I've, I, the only reason I haven't pulled them is I really want to get our episode count up to 100, so I haven't pulled them yet. But once we get to 103, those first three episodes are going into the archive. And the reason is, is all you'll hear is me and AJ both doing this. We didn't know where our mics were, and we had gotten new microphones, so we weren't really registering the fact that they were listening to us breathe the entire... Now I use it as a comedic device, but when we were first doing it, we didn't realize that that was happening, and all you could hear was me breathing onto the microphone. It was very frustrating. That's something you learn from experience, or here's a better one from being prepared. I think, AJ, if you were going to use that debate to explain to somebody why Trump should not be president, it has nothing to do with the policy that he didn't present, has nothing to do with anything that Hillary said. It has to do with the fact that, I, the, I think this is the proper phrase, he is not intellectually engaged. And... I don't want yeah, that in a president. I, I, I can see that. I mean, I don't know. I don't think I would call it intellectually engaged. I think just he has cognitive dis dissonance when it comes to, you know, how he views business in the world and what reality really is. Bruno, what I'm talking about is, all right, so if... If somebody comes to you, AJ, and, uh, and we're to go, all right, look, I've, I've invented a new way to present information to the people. Or let's go with the Trump thing. Here's a great example. When Hillary was getting ready for this debate, I, I'm willing to bet that at some point there was a flashcard round of some form of who is the leader of ISIS? Who is the leader of Egypt? Who is the leader of this? What is the policy of the United States in regards to flowers blooming before June? Like just little things that you learn, right? Right. But I also feel like Hillary Clinton is the kind of person, whether you like her or not, who if she is presented by something that she finds interesting, will then pick it apart to try to understand it at a more fundamental level. Donald Trump doesn't do that. 
Not only did Donald Trump not get prepared for this debate by probably studying facts and numbers, from what I understand, he didn't even go into like the speechifying part of it. He didn't try to learn how to deliver information in quick segments to get people. And it was very evident in that first debate. And the thing that bothers me the most about him for running for president is not that he got his ass kicked in the first debate. It's that I have no belief that he will do any extra work before the second debate. Do you understand what no, I'm saying? I, I mean, well, he hasn't worked at all. Let's be honest. Yeah, I mean, that's 100% true. I mean, if, I mean, whether outside of the debate, um, you go to any of his the rallies that's been advertised, and that's what they are advertised, not breaking news, uh, <laughs> between that and things when he's on Fox or MSNBC as an interview, there's no preparation for it. I mean, he does not have a communications director who sits down with him and says X, Y, and Z, and you need to do A, B, and C and everything. Um, he just doesn't have that mentality because I, I think this, I mean, as I said before, what you see in his campaign is the skeleton of what his business is, you know? And you look at, the campaign manager, the people he's brought in, people he's talked about, um, those are articulate people for who works under him. In other words, if you look at like what Kelly, his campaign manager is, there's an equivalent person in the Trump organization like her. And they're all yes people. They all just listen to him um, because either they really do look up to him they pay, they, he pays them an exuberant amount of money, gives them some sort of deals, whatever it is. Uh, this campaign is the exact same thing what the Trump organization is about. And if you're going to sit there and tell me that Trump is the end-all, be-all candidate for the next four years, then I really think you need to sit down and read a business book and really look at what's going on here. You know, I don't adhere to conventional business models but at least i know what they are i've studied them looked at case studies and what this is going on right now is nothing but bullshit well it, it comes down to there was there's some really interesting articles in the atlantic and on politico that talked about trump's lack of a sense of humor about himself as being one of the major things that really comes across when he's in these scenarios is that Hillary didn't really insult him at any point. She set him up with, I mean, at best you could call them zingers. And realistically, they are very easily dealt with if you have a sense of humor. You just kind of laugh and poke fun at yourself. or Like even Hillary had the joke of, uh, why don't we just blame me for all of the problems then? Which is a great opportunity for him to stand there silently and kind of laugh. But instead he goes, why not? And it, even the most staunch of, of Republican, I'm not saying that it's staunch of Trump people, but I'm saying like re Republicans who hate Hillary in that moment have to go, come on, man. Like she's the, the, the line, she's been fighting ISIS her whole life. And they, they somebody broke it down and, and did the, the fact check that was just like, well, she was 68 years old and she was born here and she did this and I, you know, all of this stuff. And then she became an adult in 1968. And that's not the, like, like, they just pointed out that ISIS has only been around for three years. So that one's insane. Like, and, and it's just all the breakdown and all the stuff. But I, I really do. I feel it goes back to there are people who really like the idea of a president being at the same intellectual level as they are. And I don't understand. This is the same kind of person, I think, at this point who supports Trump, who doesn't ever want to admit that someone is better than them at something. Right, And that bugs the crap out of me because fundamentally there are things that you are good at and there are things that you are not good at. And the best way to like live your life in a good way is to know what you are good at, know what you're not, and then get help for your weaknesses. Look, I am an amazing talker. I think that the podcast has kind of brought that to the front. I, I, I at least think I'm good. I'm good at talking clear speaking clearly as he screws up the english language i'm good at speaking clearly i'm good at getting my point across i like to debate with people i love you and i disagree because i really enjoy having that argument at the same time 
I'm not the world's, I, I don't have enough business experience to really run a business. If this thing ever gets big enough, I'm going to have to bring somebody in to run it because I know what my strengths are. I know what my weaknesses are. Donald Trump is one of those people, and I think there are a lot of people who support him and go, no, I am the best at everything that I ever have done, which is a child's reaction to stuff. Which also doesn't allow you to go, and it's the number one thing we preach on this show, AJ, be willing to admit when you don't know something. That is not weakness, that is strength. Because only by admitting that you don't know can you learn something to fill in that gap. And, go ahead. No, I was just saying, I mean, we, we, we have to understand, he's 70, right? Yeah. And because of that, Trump and a generation like him view business in a certain way, okay? And that is leadership looks like a certain way, business is conducted a certain way, uh, one, a business leader has to know everything. A business leader has to be part of the day-to-day operation. The business leader looks a certain way way talks a certain way and and that generation also feels that being aggressive is also what a business leader is supposed to be and unfortunately of that generation it's all been male driven you know so because of that that's why we see this business person called Trump who says stupid things like you know uh I'm, you know, I'm smart when he has like zero dollars <laughs> in his like tax returns, uh, that he knows everything, that he knows the best people, uh, not going to divulge information because that's what, you know, business people do. You don't divulge, you know, the yeah. best plan because someone else is going to take it over and everything. And when you say all that and you say something and you say this to Gen Xers and millennials who, have changed the scope of the private sector where it's a lot different. It's all about apps. It's a lot about, you know, this, what I call hipster service industry. Uh, it's all about the internet. Uh, it's a way even interpersonal communications more in the forefront than what Trump is used to and everything. Um, there are more, um, women in the workplace that are driving the business. Um, people of color are driving the businesses and everything as well. Um, but because that is happening, you have someone like Trump who feels that his generation and the business leaders of yesteryear still feel they know what they're talking about and they clearly don't know because we have a horrendous economic policy in the United States. Well, but going back to what you also said about like this, the business model and, and the changing dynamics of it, it's a fascinating idea that if you, yeah, because if you really think about it, there is, there is this 1980s business mentality of the way he's running his campaign of, you know, I'm the boss and everyone should look at me, I'm the boss, I'm the boss of you. And, and it's just kind of like, this weird moment in history where you're going, do you not understand that like the generation that came after you learned from your mistakes? And as much as, you know, look, you and I are more political than most people. So we, we know when you look at Google's deep, you know, financial movements that, and, and the way that they handle data, that it's not always the, the happy go lucky PR image that they put out there. But we, I think that you and I can also agree that Google for the most part does a pretty good job of trying to at least do the right thing as much as possible. You know, their Google campus is honest. Oh, it's, it's the best thing ever. Yeah. And it's how most businesses like that should be run. It's, it's the way that a lot of like businessmen are looking at the future models of stuff. And I'm all cool with all of that. But when I look at a Trump stand up on stage and like how you're saying, he's like, Oh, you're telling ISIS what you're going to do. Like, have you read ISIS? I, I actually read her. First of all, that means he's never even looked at her plan which I don't find shocking. And all her plan really is is just like detailed information on money and, and, and a little bit of things. It's not like she's going, well, on October 15th, we're going to move into here, and then on September 12th, next the year after, we'll be here. And it's, it's like it's not that. It's, it's, it's not any of that. 
And then it, you you get the, the 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 bullshit claims of you know you created the vacuum. It's like well no the last Republican president did it, but no matter what happened, it, it doesn't matter. Are, are you? My thing is, I feel like Trump is constantly saying, you know, well, you did all of this stuff wrong, but he's presented no instances of what he would have done differently, because he doesn't think like that. He's he's a problem detector, not a problem solver, and he, even that is is being generous with the way that he presented himself on Monday night. But uh, all of this conversation brings me back to the simplest idea that. You get your ass kicked in a debate like that, and you've got another one coming up, you better lock yourself away in a room and read everything that you can to be ready for the next debate. I'm not saying memorize facts, but have them easily available to you if you need them. And he's not going to do that. What he's going to do is spend the next two weeks going out talking about how amazing he was, how presidential he looked, which he didn't, how he kicked her ass, which he didn't. And he's just going to lie and lie and lie. And eventually, the second debate is going to come up, and he's going to kick her. She's going to kick his ass again, and he's going to do the same thing over. And my problem is, I think that it works for him. I think that there are people who think that he won that debate because he simply stood up there. Right, and as you said, I mean, when Trump said he has a plan, I'm sure it's going to be project managed, you know, and there's going to be <laughs> timelines and what have you. And and believe me, I mean, there are timelines that the White House has as well, as well as um, the cabinet and I'm sure um, Congress to a degree, but uh, Trump really feels that you need to have timelines that when I say in three months there's going to be no more ISIS, there's not going to be more ISIS, and I, and, I, and he's going to hold you to that. And, and that's what's really scary is that because he, and, we, and we've seen it during the primary, when he said that, you know, I'm going to be the candidate, and we all laughed, he's the candidate. In a very weird, in the very weird way, he got to be the candidate. Um, when he talks about, you know, the birther issue and how he's going to make it a forefront issue, he made it a forefront issue and everything. So the scary thing is that if if he's in the White House, uh, he's going to make things happen in the very awkward and most unconventional way possible and by unconventional I mean taking private sector tactics into the public sector because they're so going to be unconventional that you don't know what's really government and what's really business and we're seeing that here in Illinois you know with Rauner and everything you can't tell anywhere what is really government and what's really a business because the way Rauner has worked his turnaround budget and the way he's gotten the General Assembly to turn on its head and go against each other, uh, you kind of feel that you're in a, a state that's ran by a business, I feel. And as you and I have said many, many times, government is not a business. Right. The purpose of government is not to turn a profit. It's not. The purpose of a government is to use everything that it has in its ability to help the most amount of people that it can. That is the purpose of government. And I, I really do. It's, it's the same problem I had with when Romney ran. Uh, my problems with McCain were simply policy and, and Republican politics. My problems with George Bush were fairly similar, also having to do with, again, intellectual engagement. But with Romney and now Trump there's this this theory that because you are good at business you will be a good politician and I don't think that the two things have anything in common in fact they are at odds with each other with how you need to work and when you have a man who clearly does not live on the same world as the rest of us he just doesn't his reactions to stuff his plans the way he addresses other people the fact that he dresses down a Miss Universe for being overweight like, this is a man who, who clearly doesn't understand the world that he lives in and yet is, is allowed to do all of this stupid shit because 25% of the population think that he's a cool guy and he's successful. Did you watch, I don't know if you had a chance yet, it was only on last night, did you watch the PBS thing last night? I did not, I was watching uh, Trevor Noah and other stuff and had to figure out if The Miz was going to be who he 
Uh, well, I, I love The Miz. But, so I, I actually watched it. I watched the PBS uh, documentary, The Choice, which was very fantastic. Though I imagine it offends you because it only presents two choices. Is uh, it, that, that's, that was the partial of it. But yeah. yeah I mean, PBS, I, and they usually do a good job of well, they're, 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 information they're, than saying, vote for this person. Yeah, and they do a really good job of, point, of painting both of them with all of their flaws and all of their successes. But the funny thing is, is, as you're watching both of them, they're going, all right, here's Hillary Rodham. She's a, a teenager in the suburbs of Chicago who goes to see Martin Luther King speak. And then they cut to Donald Trump. Here's Donald Trump at military school. And they cut to one of his buddies who goes, yeah, we had dorm speak, you know, you know, the way you talk to people. Playboy was really the only way we learned about girls because there were no girls at our school. And realistically, I think that Donald really thought Hugh Hefner was everything that the world needed to be. And that's who he's tried to make himself into. And, you know, he still talks like we used to talk to back in the barracks. And a lot of us have grown up, and apparently he hasn't. And then they cut to Hillary. And they're like, she went to... Uh, she went to college at, I forget where she went. And then Wesleyan. They, she went to Wesleyan. Of course she went to Wesleyan. She went to Wesleyan, and then she went, I didn't want to say it because it was so stereotypical an answer that I, I didn't want to use it because I felt that I was just stereotyping, but she really did go there. That's hilarious. Uh, and then she went to Yale Law School where she met Bill and all of this, and then she failed the D.C. law exam. So she moved to Arkansas where at one point at a dinner, like a friend of hers from college came to visit, and Bill's like, all right, we're going to go talk politics. And, like, all the men left the table, and the women were just left sitting there. And, like, that was how politics were done in the 80s in Arkansas. And it was just, like, this whole thing about how she dealt with sexism and and being prejudiced against us. She was involved in the, she was on the team that was investigating Watergate. Like, and you suddenly start to realize, like, this woman is incredibly accomplished, like, much more than I even thought. And then they cut the Donald. Meanwhile, in the 80s, Donald was living it up, going to nightclubs and having sex with women. Okay, one of these things is not like the other. And it, it, it was it was a very interesting portrait of both candidates because it, once it starts getting into uh, Bill Clinton's presidential years, you really start to see like the formation of the woman who would become president. And honestly, you know what I had forgotten, AJ? I forgot that she became senator while he was still in the White House. Right. I, no, all, I remember that clearly because a lot of people thought her being senator while he was president was kind of like... Um, the best of both worlds for them. Yeah. And, um, and, I, and there was a scene in um, House of Cards where, you know, Frank, his wife, not being a senator, but she's... Ambassador like, to uh, Russia. Ambassador to the U.N. Ambassador to the U.N. And it was kind of like similar to like that yeah. type of thing. And then even in the show, they're saying how this is a powerful family. And, you know, I remember that quite clearly. Because I was even against that, was like, how can you be a president and your wife is a U.S. senator? How does that work? Well, first of all, you're not really married anymore. I mean, you're married, but you're not, you know. Well, that's the thing. And then that's where the question of furthering the question of their marriage, you know? Yeah. Um, outside of Clinton's um, addiction, what it was called, was called what it is, his addiction with women and everything. Uh, I'm sorry, we're talking about two powerful people in America, AJ. I believe the phrase you were looking for is peccadillos. An addiction. So, so, I I, I remember that quite clearly. And um, and, and now that debate has resurfaced when she announced to for president, where you have her potentially being in the White House, and Billy is going to be the first husband. And now you, you still have best of both worlds with that, that, between what he does and the foundation, and that's a whole different episode altogether. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's just, again, it's, this is, it's, it's a clusterfuck of what they created. Well, and then, so the, the PBS piece does a really good job of, of, of trying to... Um, I guess the, because they're trying to be unbiased, they don't really outright say that like the two of them are still friendly, but not really husband and wife. Right. Um, but that's kind of the implication of all of it, which there are one of my favorite things so far about the last debate and the way that the, the coverage of this election have gone. 
that I've really liked, dude, is is the fact that neither one of them, in any other election, if either one of them were facing anybody else, their personal lives would eviscerate their campaign. But the minute one of them brings up the other one's marriage or marriages, the other one can go scorched earth. Right. So it's like a mutually assured destruction where neither group can mention the one thing that both that everyone in the country knows about the two of them, which is that Donald Trump likes to sleep with women who are under 40 and that Hillary Clinton's husband is a lying cheater. And between the two of them, they can't bring it up with each other because if they do, the other one now has the door open to go after the other. And whoever brings it up first is going to be the one who eventually loses, in my opinion. Right. You know, and it's, 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 it's this weird, bizarre world that we're now living in and and i just it's the the whole thing to me has really gone off the rails and i and i'm really like i'm looking forward to the second debate but i also think that the it it, it cannot everyone remembers ali frazier one everyone remembers ali frazier three nobody remembers ali frazier two no and um and i'll say it again you know there will be a debate in St. Louis with both of them, but they're not. There's not going to be a third debate. You really, you're sticking to that? Oh yes. Okay. I saw an Onion article that said uh, Trump refuses to attend next debate if Hillary is participating. Right, and there's some people who are calling that there's not going to be a second or third debate because he's not going to show up. And I'm like, no, he's going to show up because he's already made the claim that he is. The African-American president, you know, that he has that vote cinched up and everything. And if he's going to hold to it, he's going to show up and he's going to talk about what he talked about in the first debate and how we need law and order and all that great jazz. Um, And then there's going to be a a riot soon after what's going to happen. By the way, when he was talking about the law and order and everything like that, did you... I was watching very carefully for substantive policy i I was really was i was listening for him to to do something anything that resembled a concrete position on any issue and i'm legitimately asking you aj do you remember one specific policy initiative that he spoke about during that debate because i i I went back and watched it twice and in, in no instance did i ever see him say anything that was at some point, if you were to take action, that you could go back and go, oh, well, he lied about this plan. I haven't seen that. No, no. I mean, he didn't say anything, anything with um, substance, substance of policy whatsoever. Um, but I have to say, uh, once again, when I hear him say law and order and he has this voice right behind that when he says law and order um, – it sends a shiver down my spine. And I'm being 100% honest about that because I haven't seen a candidate that I am so fearful of and says law and order and says all these fear tactic rhetoric. Um, it just makes me feel like, okay, so dare I say, uh, Hitler's coming through fruition right now. Yeah, I, I hate the phrase law and order, unless it's related to the television show, and even then, only with the good episodes. Um, but it's a, it's a very Nixonian... Yeah, no, it's... it's, thought, just, it's no, know? it's... it's That, to me, I was talking to one of the guys who works here in the office with me, and he was saying the same thing. It was very Nixon-esque and, and, and something similar. And then you remember that that's how Roger Ailes got started. Roger Ailes got started working for Richard Nixon for before a debate and gave him and, and like he's the one who came up with keeping the studio like requesting that the studio be very cold, that the lights be positioned differently so that they didn't cause him to sweat. Um, and all this different stuff that they did to make Nixon look better than he had in nineteen sixty. And I look at Trump's debate performance and I'm like, Oh, that's that's Fox News. That was Fox News. On a debate stage. Like, that's what Donald Trump has become. He is the embodiment of everything that Jon Stewart made fun of for 15 years on The Daily Show. It's like if if, if Fox News... Do you ever... I know you're not big on South Park. Have you ever seen the Facebook episode they did? No, I heard about that one. I heard that's... It's funny. It's more, it's, more it's, accurate than anything else. Well, But the whole idea is that your profile becomes who you are. 
Right. right. Like your profile can take over your life. That's who you really are is your Facebook profile. And it's like by, by giving it power, you give it sentience. And I feel like Fox News did that with Donald Trump. They did this for so long and prevent, and presented this insane narrative that if you have a rational brain and watched it for 10 minutes and would go, well, no, they, it can't possibly be all of that. It's a little bit of that, but you're taking it to an insane extreme. Donald Trump is just that personified. And you, you know when you read a Marvel comic, like this is death personified. That's what happened. It's Fox News in a person is Donald Trump. And he goes up on stage and he doesn't really have any plans. He doesn't really know what he wants. He just knows that he doesn't like the fact that he's not as powerful as he used to be and that he feels diminished in some way. So he, he reacts like a child having a tantrum. And the problem is that there's a lot of people out there who seem to feel the same freaking way. And now we're all just kind of stuck in this quagmire of bullshit that will not end that is a complete lack of accountability on his part. The, the fact that, why did you do so poorly in the debate? And he listed 30 things that caused it, and not a single one was, I wasn't properly prepared. To, to, to run a campaign this way is, is without a doubt the most ridiculous thing that, I, that I've ever watched in my adult life. And I watch pro wrestling religiously, and this is crazier than that. It's it's just it's it's nuts, and he's gonna go up on stage in in a week, and he's gonna do the same shit all over again. I don't understand it. I don't understand how people are voting for him. But then again, last night after SmackDown, there was an episode of Chris Lee knows best, and I don't understand how anybody watches that show either. So let's talk about that for one second. Okay, can we talk about the Southern Dandy? <laughs> what does he, I know what he did, but what does he do now? I don't know. Why does he? And I refuse. I refuse to look it up. I don't know. I refuse to look it up. I refuse to give him anything other than the commercials that I have to watch and the like three or four times that it's been on after wrestling, and I haven't had the motivation to get up and change the channel. Let me tell you what he used to do. Okay. He used to be a hedge fund manager. Oh, so he's one of them. And then he wanted to go into his passion industry which was fashion okay i think the people who watch christy knows best are the same people who are voting for donald trump i mean i i i don't watch it because it's entertaining i think i see like sporadic episodes from time to time because obviously it sounds scripted you know and at the same token, I could to ask myself, like, why do they have a show? How do they get a show? Kardashians, I can understand to a point. But in Duck Dynasty, I can understand why they have a show to a point. But why do they have a show? What's that qualifier? Because right now, they're my precedent for me to have my own reality show. Yeah, I can see that. You know what I'm saying? It's like, all the episodes is like following me around, doing all the activism stuff <laughs> and the drama that people don't get to see. I, uh, you're lost for words, aren't you? Yeah, no, when it comes to that man and that family and what goes on there, I don't understand it. I don't understand how a man. I, I talk to my friends all the time about the fact that I'm pretty, I mean, like, he's got that. Did you watch King of the Hill when it was on? Yes. Okay, so this is deep cuts King of the Hill nerdism, so I'm going to try to explain it. There are the four main guys on King of the Hill, Hank, Dale, Bill, and Boomhauer. Of the four, Bill was the saddest of all of them. His life was pathetic. They're all of them were sad, but... Well, yeah, they live in Texas. But anyway, Bill has family in Louisiana. So they go to visit Louisiana, the whole cast of the show. I love that episode. And they meet my favorite character in King of the Hill, which is William's Bill's cousin, uh, Gilbert, <laughs> who is the definition of a like just the stereotypical closeted Creole homosexual 
who says the stuff that I, I've always found funny, which is just the heat in this place reminds me of the time that I took a man up to, a, uh, to the top of a mountain and then had him screaming the entire way down, I declare. Like that kind of shit. Just, just very, very stereotypical gay Creole thing. Like you guys know what I'm talking about. It's the the, the whole like I'm waving a hanky and saying it is hot as the Dickens. I declare that kind of thing. That is Chrisley. He is he is he is just the Georgia version of that. And I really feel like a lot of the anger you see him present on that show and that repressed nature of his. If that dude would just admit to himself that all he really wants to do is drop down on his knees and gobble some knob, he would be a lot happier. You're just kind of laying it all out there. Right? I, I do. I think that that dude is one of those guys. Like, Okay, AJ, have you ever met somebody in, in, in our circles, in our lives? Like, the good thing that you and I have with the groups that we tend to run with is they're pretty liberal organizations, pretty liberal group of friends who are generally pretty cool about, you know, if somebody comes out as gay or bi or trans, that everyone's kind of like, okay, yeah, roll with it, whatever. And I get that in Southern culture, especially Republican Southern culture, it's not the same thing. But anyone who's ever, if you've ever talked to anybody who is a closeted homosexual, gay or lesbian, and they talk about the moment when they finally told everybody, it's mm-hmm. like this, like all of this anger and hate and fear that they had inside kind of disappears because they've let go of this thing. I feel like that would happen not with Chrisley. I feel like if he just went out one day and was like, no, I, I just, I love men. And now that I'm saying it, I feel good. He'd be a happy man. There, there'd be no reality show. Because he'd actually be happy, and it's yeah. and, and he's one of those characters. Is you know, for a while I thought, you know, is he closeted and because of where he's from in South Carolina and now Georgia and now Tennessee, um, that is it repressed um, sexuality that he's been conditioned to and does what he does and everything, or is it really his? personality and we we all know some of those people who come across as feminine or you know kind of questioning their own sexuality but they're like the most virile person that you can imagine um there was an episode where he took his kids to his hometown in south carolina into like this textile factory that's that's shut down so they broke in and went inside and everything and kind of show like, you know, the hard times in the South and he and his mom worked there and everything. So it kind of humanized him a little bit. But outside of that, um, he's just a unique character. And when I heard, when I found out, you know, he was a hedge fund manager and wanted to go into fashion. It's like, wow, there's a whole lot of things going on here and everything. And even like the way he, is so anal, type A personality, OCD, whatever you want to call it, about he he has his children present themselves to him of what they are going to wear, and he says yes or no. Yeah, that's weird. And that's what gets me. It's like, so you think that you are have a fashion sense, quote-unquote, so you're going to have your kids present to you what they are going to wear that day. I mean, I just can't imagine doing that. I would be like, I'm just going naked because you don't like anything I like. Well, and, and, and it's just, but it, it's, see, the thing with that is not that he wants his kids to dress properly. My parents want me to dress properly. The fact that I own nothing but black T-shirts really annoys them. But they don't make me model my clothes for them in the morning you know like there's a there's the thing with with what you're saying that bugs that would that bugs me is not that he wants his kids to dress properly it's that he forces them to do so in the like that's a control issue that's right. that, that's somebody who's just not comfortable not having control of a scenario and he does it but we've spent over eight minutes talking about chrisley and i'd like to move on from his weirdness unless there's a final point about that dude that you'd like to make no, other than um, stop watching the show. Yeah, everyone stop doing that. And that includes you, apparently, AJ. Stop watching I, your show. I got to. Just watch King of the Hill instead. There's that one episode that, 
it kind of intrigues you, you know? It's like, what the fuck? No. Not me, anyway. If I'm going to watch reality television, I watch pro wrestling, because at least at the end of it, they fight. Yeah, unfortunately, they follow both. Yeah, no. And SmackDown. Oh, and the commercials just never stop. Oh, my God. (laughs) All right, so before we go, I wanted to get to this news story, because I'm really enjoying it. Um... First of all, there are two. Number one, and this is just for, listen, I know we got a lot of stoners who listen to our show, and uh, there are nine states that are voting on this election day to expand legal mar- uh, legal access to marijuana. Um, five are going for just straight legalization, or as I like to call them, future states that will let Nick live in them. Uh, and one of them is my favorite state to go live in, which is Maine, uh, because Stephen King is from Maine. Anyway, Arizona, California, Maine, Massachusetts, and Nevada are considering straight legalization. Florida, Arkansas, and North Dakota are uh, going to be voting and debating on medical marijuana purposes. Illinois is still off the list because we have a Republican governor, and God forbid that they vote on anything that is relevant. And the other story, and this one is so much more fun, and I figured, AJ, we could have fun with this. So, ladies and gentlemen, in the last year, we have had two stories of drug prices being raised exponentially. Uh, the first was the AIDS medication that was uh, jacked up to a price so high that it was no longer feasible for the people of Africa to use, and that many people in the United States would no longer have access to a very important part of the AIDS cocktail. That was done by a man named Martin Shrekelli. Uh, I cannot say his name correctly. The other person whose name I forget is the person who, uh, the CEO of the company that owns the EpiPen that has now jacked the EpiPen price up. And an EpiPen on the street now costs more than a gram of cocaine. That's where we're at. The gentleman who raised the price of the AIDS medication, uh, again, Shrekelli, Shrekelli, whatever. He bought a pharmaceutical company and jacked the price of a life-saving drug uh, more than 50, uh, 50-fold. That's 50 times more than it initially cost. And he said he was going to, I swear to God, he will let someone slap or punch him in the face for a price to help benefit his friend Mike, who recently died and left behind a young son. Yeah. The highest bids so far are $78,000 and $25,000. And I feel that we could really upgrade this. And I think that we should end the show, end the show AJ, speculating on to which person we would really like. Like, if I got it for 100000 do I get to punch him in the face? Or can I, let, can I hire a surrogate? In the best of political campaigns, we are in an election year to do it for me. And if I can, AJ, who should it be? As wrestling fans, I think our first answer is obviously Brock. Well, he's 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 my tie response. Who's number one? <clears throat> I would have to put Roman Reigns. Oh, with the Superman and punch. Superman punch. See, but it doesn't just have to be pro wrestling. Like I was trying to think of boxers. Like I could see Klitschko being fun. But then the question you have about a boxer is, does he have to wear the boxing glove? Well, see, I think there's a few things. One, um, you're paying so you can do whatever the hell you want, okay. in my view. That's how I interpret it as. You pay up front that money that's yours, and you can do whatever you want, whether you're doing it or someone else doing it. It's your money. Well, in that instance, then... I think I'd want The Undertaker, but only if I can do the full entrance. Ooh. Like, tombstone him? No, no, no. Just a punch. He only... Listen, though. The rule is one punch in the face. And I would just... Like, if you're going to do one punch, one punch alone is not very satisfying. Even if it's delivered by Mike Tyson in his prime. He said a punch or a slap, right? Punch or a slap. I will let bitters punch or slap me. So maybe somebody wants to just slap him. Like, there are people, AJ, who don't know how to throw a punch. They put the the thumb inside when they make a fist instead of on the outside because they don't know. Which is one of my best things. Because if you teach somebody to do that, they'll break their thumb. It's awesome. And... But I think what I'd want is more, because, again, for a wrestling fan, I want the showmanship. So I want the lights to go out. Like, I want him sitting at, like, a desk. I want the lights to go out. I want the funeral dirge to play. I want a bunch of people to slowly walk down the ramp, like, with the torches and then have the Undertaker show. Because I want him to be scared when it happens. And everyone says that no matter how fake you think wrestling is, stand in the ring when the Undertaker's coming and it won't feel fake no more. 
Well, yeah. I mean, as fictional as the Undertaker character is, it's like, like there's a piece of you as it progresses onto his entrance. It's like, oh, this is the dead man. The demon of Death Valley. It See, was... I would either get The Rock just to slap him. Because you know how The Rock will... He'll jab, he'll jab, he'll jab, and he'll take his hand all the way back. His big oh, you want, you, want the, you want the spit slap? Yes. And then he just, pow! Yeah, I can see that. That could be fun. See, the thing is, is like, it's only a punch. Because if it's The Rock or Stone Cold, like, I don't want him to get punched. I want him to get stunned or rock-bottomed. You're, you're right, but I would want Stone Cold to do his lead-up speech and then hit him. Okay. Because that's the only thing that's going to be entertaining without the stunner is Stone Cold is going to be like, he goes, I know who you are. <laughs> I know who you know who I am. Now I'm going to tell you something. Now you're going to listen. I don't care if it's $1 billion, $2 billion, $3, $3 billion. billion. <sighs> <And> punch him. <laughs> now, I think for boxers, Mike Tyson's up there. You can still throw the one nice punch. Yeah, and someone asked me this the other, this past weekend if um if I would let Mike Tyson hit me. And I said I would because I want to know what Mike Tyson now feels like. Not saying he hit me before, but I just want to know getting hit by Mike Tyson would feel like. Wow. All right, man. Well, before we get out of here for the day, is there anything else you want to bring up? I know, should we very briefly touch on your weekend of driving around the socialist candidate for president of the United States? How did that go? It was fun. Uh, you know, we it was the most interesting campaign trail I've ever been on, from going to a sundown town in Illinois to the Pagan Pride Festival in Indiana to a Rocky Horror Picture Show, Midnight Show, to a retirement living center, to the Chinese buffet, and back to Chicago. Who? Trump and Hillary ain't doing this. No, they're not. And I, again, I always love when you're out doing that stuff. It, it made me very, very sad, though. So you never answered my question, and this is very important to me. You guys went to Lulu Bell's Diner? Yeah, I mean... We- I mean, they chose it. I didn't know anything about it. But it was yeah. on Mannheim Road? Mannheim, yeah. You were, In the interstate. You were literally four minutes from my house. Was I? That street that, that ends across the way from the diner Yeah, is, is the street that I take to get home. Like okay. my, That's my neighborhood on the other side of that industrial park. Yeah, because we were looking around and going, well, how far Bensonville's from here? Because I know we're Franklin Park, Schiller Park, and I thought... Yeah, Bensonville, Bensonville was on the other side. Park. Literally, once you had, if you had crossed over and gone down that street all the way till it dead ends and turned right, you would have been in Bensonville. You would have been in my neighborhood. All right. And it was, it was just really funny to me because we must have passed each other on Mannheim that day because you posted that uh, like 10 minutes before I saw it, and I had just gotten to the office. So that means we both arrived at about the same time. So we literally passed each other on the road. Yeah, because they stayed at the hotel just up the street from there. Which one? The Quality Inn That hotel. seems where a socialist would stay. Yeah. Socialist isn't going to stay at the Hyatt. No, we stay at the Quality Inn. Oh, you know, I like the Quality Inn. It's quality. It is, except for... I, and I have to say it, and even though the campaign... No, I looked it up before we started the show to make sure that it's... If an experience actually happened to you, you can quote the company's name. So please, tell me what horrible thing happened at the Quality Inn. Well, it's not what happened. It's just, you know, I know the, the campaign chose um, these places. I didn't know I was staying with them. So I just want to put that out there. But when we reached to Indiana, into Indianapolis... We stayed at the Quality Inn there in the southern loop of Indy. And it was unbeknownst to us that that Quality Inn was right next to a truck stop gas station. Right across was another truck stop gas station. Right next to our hotel was the Classy Chassis Go-Go. The what? The Classy. The classy chassis go-go. 
I want to go to the classy, whatever, go, go. You want to go to the classy, classy, go, go? Is it not a strip club? Because it's it sounds- is. It's a strip club. Well, yeah, then we should go. Which you can do, which apparently other things happen at this classy chassis go-go. Well, I mean, all right, so before before we end the show, I should tell you about that. There's one place on North Avenue that I have yet to go to, and I am really tempted to go. And all it, it scares is. scares you? Well, it doesn't scare me. I just find it curious. It's a white strip mall with, like, a liquor store an empty store, and then just a sign that points to a door that says, girls, girls, girls. Shut up. Swear to Christ. That's Shut all that's up. there. <laughs> that's all that's there. There's no name for Where what. Where on North Avenue? Just west of 83. Uh, not even 83. It's just further than 83. Like, just west of 53, I think. Or right before you get to 53. It's a little white strip mall on North Avenue. It's way out there. And it's literally just a, a black sign. Or a, a a yellow neon sign in a black like blacked out window with an arrow pointing at the door and it just says girls girls girls. I have no idea what's going on in there, but you know I'm an imaginative guy, AJ. You know I like to be creative occasionally in my own head, and the stories that I have created in my head about what this place must be because there are three possibilities. One. It's just a strip club, like a shitty little strip club, which is boring, and I don't care about that at all. The other possibilities are horrible, but also really entertaining because they both involve human trafficking. That's the horrible part. But the entertaining part is the stereotypes that they can embrace. And the number one is that it's just the kind of place where there's a bunch of women dancing on tables while old Asian men chain smoke and hand money back and forth to each other in a way that does not match the action happening anywhere in the place, which is my favorite like movie stereotype of illegal gambling. Just a bunch of like dudes, especially. And it's always like a bunch of Asian guys, like from uh, what's the movie with De Niro, uh, Deer Hunter, where you yeah. just see money changing hands back and forth, and like nothing's happening, so you have no idea why the money is constantly being moved. And the other possibility, and it's the one that I think is most likely, is that it is a Russian human trafficking brothel, which is horrible. But there is something to be said for walking into that place and just turning, and there is just a bunch of chain-smoking, angry-looking Russians who simply tend to go, why are you here? I saw the sign. You want girl? Yes? Which girl do you want? I don't... What? Which girl do you want? I don't... I don't know. You leave. Give me money, though. You walk in. We'll give you money. Yeah, yeah. Give me money for walking in the door. You made me waste my cigarette. I don't know, man. All right. Uh, we're going to get out of here for the day. We're going to come back, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, today is Wednesday when we're recording this. Uh, as of right now, we got no plans to do any more shows this week. I think next week we're going to nail out. Uh, we're going to do another two shows. Um, but always be checking our feed to make sure that we have something big doesn't happen that we feel the need to respond to. We're getting. Uh, we're trying to do that a little bit more. Uh, AJ, anything left to promote, anything left to say, any uh, candidates that you want to speak up, any local elections we should be watching, feel free. Uh, I give you the floor again, sir. Uh, uh, you know, Mimi Solstick is on the ballot in Guam. Congrats. And we're the only third party on the ballot in Guam since 1980. Wait, so... They're the only third-party candidates since 1980? Yes, yes. Ross Perot didn't make the ballot? Nope. The last one was John Anderson. Now that you've said that, you know he's going to come back from the dead. Is he dead? No, he's still alive. He's like 90-something. How the hell it... Money is good. It's good to be the king. Right. He has a key... He's doing the Keith Richards program. I, want... I mean, I lived the Keith Richards program for like two years and almost died. Yeah, but you're not going to Switzerland and get your whole blood transfused. For the record, I actually like that. I think that you should do that every 3,000 miles. It's good for your heart. <laughs> every 3,000 miles? <laughs> All right, man. Don't you like walk a 1,000 miles, a 1,000 steps to begin with, regardless? Yeah, like every day. When I was in, All right, so funny thing, when we were in Greece, uh, Laura, my friend Laura had on the Fitbit. Yeah. And she was able to keep track of, like, how far we walked. And there was one day we got up and we went to – we started the day 
we went and got breakfast at like a cafe near the place. We walked to the train. We took the train downtown. We went and saw the changing of the guard. We walked from there to a restaurant like on the same square. Then we walked from there through the National Gardens to the Temple of Zeus. And from there to the market. And like we're, we're having fun or whatever. And at the end of the day, she signed on to her computer or her phone and checked how many steps. And we had walked six miles. <laughs> like, and it was just one of those things where you're like, oh, damn. Okay. So that happened. So, yeah, I can walk the six miles or I can go every 3,000 miles and just, you know, suck it out, place it. If only they could put in a new blood filter, which I guess is the heart. Right. Is that going to be the future of mankind? Like, is that how we achieve immortality? We just grow parts and replace them like a car? It's going to be like Bicentennial Man. You know it's going to be a subscription-based service, too, like Netflix. Like, you're going to have to pay, like, twelve ninety-nine a month to get all your new parts. What was parts. that movie with um, Jude Law? Oh, uh, well... If you're talking about Repo Men, which is actually a live-action, non-musical version of an opera, then yes, that's the movie you're talking about. Yeah, where they go around, they, you know, you need a heart, you do that, but you have to pay monthly. Right, and then if you can't make the payments, they come and take it back. Yeah. Yeah, that was called Repo Men, and it's based on a movie called Repo Men, the, the genetic opera horror show, which starred Giles from Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV show. <laughs> Of course, Giles will do it. Well, of course he would. I love that guy. Um, all right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get out of here for the day. We'll be back next week uh, with another show, I imagine, chronicling. See, the thing is, we keep planning to do shows that aren't about Trump. Like, even today's show, when we started, was going to be able to 10 minutes about the debate and move on to some other stuff. And then you just get sucked into the black hole that is the Donald Trump presidential campaign. So I imagine next week, we'll have all sorts of wonderful plans, and we'll just end up talking about Trump for another hour. So this has been Chicago Podcast Network's Out Front with AJ and Nick. AJ, say goodbye to the wonderful people. Bonsoir. He did it in French because he's a goddamn socialist. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this has been Nick Sarantos. This is Out Front, AJ Nick. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Facebook, as AJ said at the beginning of the show, Chicago Podcast Network. You can find us on Twitter, Shytown Podcast One. You can email us on Gmail, Chicago Podcast Network. All of those things are available to you. Thank you so much for being with us. We hope that you guys enjoyed the show. Please email us or tweet us or something and let us know how you're feeling, what you want us to talk about. We will adapt our show to suit your very, very specific needs. Thanks so much, AJ. Ladies and gentlemen, the only thing left to say is uh, we out! six miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. You have been listening to the Chicago Podcast Network.